All right. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you guys. I can see I have one eye today, so if I go long, it's that, and I have 10 points, so, um, which I never do, but I'm like, hey, why not? Let's go all the way today. It's like the week after Easter, and we're not going soft. We're going hardcore. Amen? You're here today. God is good, and all the time. Mm-hmm. This water is good. Let me take another sip. <clears throat> Let's pray. Jesus, you're worthy. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Jesus. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we've gathered together. We thank you for the worship. God, we thank you that it's all about you. It's not about us. <laughs> it's all about you, Lord. God, I pray that you today would be glorified. God, that your word would be lifted high in our hearts and that it would be hidden in our hearts, that we wouldn't sin against you. God, that you would open our eyes to see what your spirit is doing, that you would open our ears, that we would hear what the spirit is speaking. And God, that you would give us hearts that are tender to be obedient, that you would give us courage to step out, that you would help us be brave for you, Jesus. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us be courageous for you. God, that you would help us be real with ourselves. And God, that you would give us freedom, freedom to serve you, freedom to walk in you, freedom to be who we are in you, that man-pleasing would go, that it would flee from this place, from our lives. And God, that instead we would be God-pleasers, God-chasers, God, that we would be Bible believers. God, that we would be devil stompers, Lord God. God, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation. God, I thank you that you are good and that, God, you are completing the good work. You began here, the church at Vision Waterville, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing our sermon series, Blessed. And blessed is not just about what you got. (laughs) It's it's not about what's in your bank account. It's not about where you live. Being blessed is living the abundant life that God has called you to live. And today we're going to break down um, several scriptures. But the the scripture that this is based on is in the New Testament, but we're going to go back to the Old Testament because those of you who know me, I love the Old Testament. So we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament, and we're going to learn from the first two kings of Israel, King Saul and King David. And we're going to learn what Jesus was talking about here in uh, Matthew on his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 4. And it's, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And when you hear that scripture, for me, I've always thought of it as a time of like grieving, maybe when you've lost somebody or when something disappointing happens in your life. But when you actually break down the scripture in the original language, it means something deeper than just that. Although God does bring us comfort when we are in a time of grieving. But this is is a little bit different what Jesus means here. And I think it's better understood in the Amplified Version. So I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version because I like more words anyway. So this is 10 points today. So we got to go to the Amplified, okay? And I can't see. Lord have mercy. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace. Ooh, I like it. 
What's blessed mean in this? Forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn. And what are they mourning over? Right here. Over their sins. Over their sins and repent. For they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Come on, somebody. Get into the Amplified, okay? It's good stuff. This is what the the scripture, when you mourn over your sins. Usually in America, we like to gloss over our sins, but God has called us to mourn over our sins, to truly repent, to turn, to turn from our sins and to turn towards God. Uh, Last week, I think during Easter, I believe Pastor Josh read the scripture uh, in Acts chapter 3 where it says, repent then and turn to God that he may wipe out or that he may wipe out your sins that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Doesn't that just go with the scripture we just read? When we turn to God, he truly does wipe our sins away and he brings times of refreshing. If you have not ever experienced times of refreshing, I say get into your prayer closet. I don't mean necessarily a literal closet, but a time alone with God and pray and actually repent over your sins. Not the sins of your spouse or your children, but your sins. Ask the Lord to search you. And when that happens, God will bring refreshing. He does every time. If you haven't felt the presence of the Lord in a while, my guess is you might have not repented in a while. Because when you repent and you truly repent, I'm telling you, he always shows up. He doesn't turn his back on someone who has true repentance, okay? Another scripture before we get into what we're going to get into. I got a lot of pre-scriptures here, okay? This is the difference here between King Saul and King David. We can see it in this scripture. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. In my um, pastoral counseling class that I'm finishing up right now, they're talking about the difference between godly sorrow and they, and just saying you're sorry and not truly having true repentance. And that's what this message is about today. So we're going to talk about five marks of false repentance. We're going to learn from King Saul. But I told you we have ten points, so that's only half of it, y'all. So buckle up. Then we're going to talk about five marks of true repentance, and that's going to be King David. Both of these uh, ballers, I don't know why that word just went through my head, but <laughs> both of them... I mean, they messed up big time, okay? Both of them were not flawless, okay? They, they, they messed up. And I love First and Second Samuel. It's some of my favorite pa- uh, books in the Old Testament. And I just heard a preacher really break down, like, the characters in, in the uh, book of Samuel and 1 and 2. And he said, it starts off with the priest, which is Eli. Then it goes on to uh, the prophet, which is Samuel. I love Samuel, and I love his mama. Oh, Lord, let me raise up Samuel's. His mama, Hannah, is awesome, okay? Then it goes on to what they call the politician, and that is Saul. And I've never heard anyone call King Saul a politician. And once that, like, light bulb went in my head, I was like, oh, I understand him so much more now, right? And then they called King David, the last character that Samuel talks about, a poet. And I'm like, that makes sense, too, And so we're going to talk about the politician and the poet today and the difference between false repentance and true repentance because, God, I would rather be a poet than a politician. I want to have true 
repentance. I want to be real. Part of our mission statement is being real. If we can't be anything else, be real. Let's not fake it, right? But King Saul, Lord, King Saul, he, he faked it a lot. Um, I want to read just one uh, passage of scripture here. We're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, 15 mostly, but I don't, I don't know. I didn't look at my PowerPoint, so I have no idea it's up there. He was like, babe, I got like 20 slides. I'm like, I'm sorry, but this is like so good. I can't cut it down. So um, <laughs> I didn't give him this extra one, but I want to read it to you guys if I can see. Okay. 1 Samuel 15, 20 and 23. We're going to go all the way through um, 1 Samuel 15, but I'm not going to read it all today. So you guys got to go back and do some homework, okay? But this is so good. These are maybe some of the most powerful scriptures in the Old Testament right here. And this is uh, the politician Saul saying, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. <laughs> I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what they had was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. Or Gilgal. But Samuel replied, right here, listen to this. This is where, this is where it gets, woo. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as obeying the Lord? Snap, crackle, pop. What? Like, seriously, that is like, yeah, it's like a little bit of a smack there. But, you know, let's move on. It says, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination, some translations say witchcraft, and arrogance is as evil as idolatry. Some translations say stubbornness. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Ouch. Ouch. You're fired. <laughs> and he's like, I veto. Like, I'm not going to be fired. I veto that um, because he's a politician. And so the first mark here of fake repentance or false repentance is fake repentance tries to justify their own sin. Now, when you read uh, the whole chapter there in context, you see that Saul's first response to the prophetic rebuke is silence. First, he's quiet. And then I have to point out, while Saul may appear to repent, and if you read it, he even goes on and says, okay, finally, after they, go, they have an interchange back and forth, he, he goes on, okay, I'm sorry. So he appears to repent, um, but he goes on and does the same, same mistake again in another chapter and a few chapters afterwards in chapter 26. Repentance, his repentance was reluctant at, at best. It was too little and too late. See, the place of repentance really should have been went back when he did not follow the instructions of, the, of God in chapter 13, when God told him to destroy all of this enemy that was coming against him. And this enemy was was his, the enemy of the people of Israel since they came out of Egypt and tried to go into the promised land. And God remembered what they did wrong against his people, and he rose up King Saul to bring about his justice. But instead, Saul did it half-heartedly. Come on, somebody. He did it half-heartedly, and then when he was called out on his stuff, he justified his sin. First he was silent, and then when he was pressed on a little bit more, he started to defend himself. Ooh. Oh, in psychology, they call that a, a defense mechanism. You know when someone, like, gives you feedback and you get, like, super frustrated right away? 
us overly sensitive type right here. I'm speaking to myself. We can be like that sometimes. We've got to learn to receive correction. Because if not, we become like the politician King Saul and we're stubborn. Stubbornness and arrogance, it is idolatry. Why? Because you put yourself before the word of the Lord. You justify your actions by being silent, pretending like it wasn't even that big of a deal. And then when you're pressed up against, you're going to defend yourself. You know, I'm sorry, but I was hangry. Ooh, I've used that one before, right? <laughs> Hush now. <laughs> I'm working through it, <laughs> right? But we do that, whether it's hangry or I had a bad day or I didn't get enough sleep or whatever our excuses is, we need to get rid of it. Stop justifying why we did wrong and just take it. Stop defending ourselves. Someone sit by that man so we could talk to you. <laughs> this is the thing. Samuel did not accept Saul's excuses, and he rebuked him for his foolishness and disobedience, informing him that it would cost him his kingdom. What's our foolishness and our disobedience costing us? Is it costing us our children's salvation? Is it costing us the calling that God has on our life? Is it costing us our, our marriage? Is it costing us prom promotion at our job? Because there's consequences to our actions. And those we would wish we could just do whatever we want sometimes. We can't. We, we, we have to have boundaries in our life. You want boundaries in your life? You don't want just everybody running all over you? God's word is boundaries in our life. And when he speaks to us and we disregard what he is saying, we are showing that we are putting ourselves above him. Again, stubbornness, ignorance is idolatry. Rebellion is witchcraft. God help us, amen. All right, that's only point one. We've got more to go. Fake repentance resists the convicting of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, I had to ask the Lord to forgive me. It's it is when we resist the Holy Spirit. You know when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and tells us, turn off that show, and we're like, I'm bored. It's entertaining, right? <clears throat> I I've had to repent for it. I'm like, I'm not going to go out and do what they're doing. I mean, like. I'm just bored. <laughs> right? Come on. Whatever it is, when we resist the convicting of the Holy Spirit, then we, if we aren't careful, we're going to end up grieving the Holy Spirit. And if we continue on, we'll end up quenching the Holy Spirit. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul commanded by God through Samuel to take out the enemy, their cattle, as their overworking divine judgment, Saul partially obeys, keeping back some of the best of the cattle and plunder. When Samuel arrives, Saul approaches him boldly, pronouncing he did what he was supposed to do. Hey, what's up? I listened. I obeyed. <laughs> Resisting, quenching, silencing down when the Holy Spirit says, you didn't do it all the way. You did it halfway. I had a repent recently of going through the motions because it's easy to go through the motions. I'm pretty disciplined with my spiritual formations, with my spiritual disciplines. I read my Bible pretty much every day. I pray pretty much every day. But sometimes I'm reading my Bible on my phone, listening to it, looking at Facebook. Is that really reading my Bible? Don't judge me. You know you've done it before too. I see you guys. 
I've already repented. <laughs> I'm like, I need, I, I need to figure this out, right? Because we live in such a world of distractions that it's so easy to resist the Holy Spirit and to only do things half-heartedly. And God wants all of us. He says he's going to spit the lukewarm from his mouth. He doesn't want part of us. He wants all of us. Saul only wanted to give him part, the part that's out front that other people can see. But guess what? God sees how you act behind closed doors. Woo! And if you got pastor kids, they love to call you out on your, on your sin behind closed doors. <laughs> Y'all got to get some accountability behind those closed doors. Stop being mad at your, your husband and your wife when they call you out. It, that's, that's God using them. I mean, they could say it nicer, though, but, you know. <laughs> Only after Samuel persistently refused to accept his excuses did Saul finally confess that he had sinned in verse 24 and 25 or excuse me, 24 through 30. And he only did his repentance reluctantly. It was reluctant. So, again, fake repentance. I'm, okay, I'm still going. It's already, Mike's already dying. All right, fake repentance number three, it passes the blame to other people. All right, I guess I won't be able to run and high-five the front row, so y'all got to pay attention, okay? It passes the blame, passes the blame to other people. We see this not only Saul, because what Saul did is say, but, but basically the people pressured me, right? He blamed it on his men. The, the, the soldiers, they were tired. This is what they wanted. The people pressured me. You got to go back and read the whole thing. So he blamed it on his men, but we see this all the way back in the garden when sin first entered in to humanity. What happened? First, Adam blamed it on Eve. Then Eve blamed it on the devil. I've been blaming on the devil every since. <laughs> but we have, right? Like, come on. Like, there's always someone to blame. But when we actually realize the word of God is supposed to be a mirror that it can look into our own soul, it's supposed to read us as we're reading it. And too often, we want to blame other people, other circumstances, and other things for our own sin. That's fake repentance. God wants nothing to do with that. When we blame others instead of look at ourselves, it's not real, friends. God wants real. All right, I hit that one quick and, and fast. Number four, fake repentance is only concerned with self-image. Ooh. Saul ran out to meet Samuel and was like, hey, look at all that I've done. We've defeated the enemy. And Samuel's like, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? Like, what's going on here? Bah, I hear something. You didn't, you didn't listen all the way because I hear the sheep. <laughs> They're still alive, right? It's like, what sound does a sheep make? <laughs> what sound does a cow make? Moo. I hear what's going on. You didn't obey. Like, you're not even, not even secretive about it. But you're out here acting like you did something that you didn't do. You care more about your image. And then finally, you know, what happened was as, as Saul, he wanted damage control, right? Damage control instead of true. And that's, again, a politician move. He wanted, okay, well, let's make this look right. Can you? And he actually asked Samuel after he finally muttered out, I'm sorry. Have you ever met anyone who just, like, they can't even say the word I'm sorry? It's, like, so hard for them. <laughs> I wasn't going to say. I was just letting the Holy Spirit convict you. 
<laughs> but isn't that true? Sometimes, like, there's people that just, they just struggle. It's, like, hard to, I'm sorry. You don't mean it if it's that hard. Like, go back and try again. This is what, this is what how, how Saul was. He didn't really mean he was sorry. He wanted to look good in front of the people. And so he asked Samuel to come out. Just come out with me. Like, sit on the stage. And, like, let's worship together when you're thinking about that, ma- that monument that you just built to yourself. When you read the entire chapter, the dude built... You're not supposed to build a monument to yourself. Like, even if you're awesome, like, you're supposed to be dead first and the other people are going to build it. Like, you don't go out and build your own monument. Like, <laughs> but yet he did. Even though he didn't fully obey, he still wanted to be glorified. Man, I was just talking to my husband about the lack of discernment in the American church. It, it, it kind of irritates me. It's one of my... <laughs> I move in discernment, and so sometimes I'm just like, oh. What irritates me is we want to call out all these pastors who are living like rock stars and end up, you know, sinning like rock stars, cheating on their wives, you know, stealing money. But that's the churches you guys want to go to. I'm not saying you guys. I'm saying Americans. They want to go there because it's comfortable. They don't got to serve in the nursery at that church. (laughs) They don't got to come early and help set up chairs at that church. They don't, they don't have to do anything besides show up. And then you want to call them out. Bro, look at yourself. I'm sorry I got teenagers. I say bro way too much. <laughs> it is what it is. We need discernment and stop making everything about us, our comfort. Right? Because then it's about the self-image that we're portraying instead of allowing God to be seen in us. Like, we're not perfect. We mess up, right? But let's be real about it. Let's confess our sin or, like, preach and let your husband confess your sin while you're going. Like, just be real about it. (laughs) He's got me. (laughs) Eventually, this is what happened. Saul, he, he made a monument to himself. He wanted damage control, and he really didn't truly care about what he did. He just cared about what he looked like. Oh. When we care more about our reputation than repentance, there's a sign we're becoming like Saul. And then finally, fake repentance, well, it's short-lived. Right? It's short-lived. The reason why it's short-lived is because it's, it's, it's fake. <laughs> it's not real. It's, it's false. And so here he is in chapter 15 saying, okay, come on, come on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Fine, I'm sorry. Now can I get back on the video game? <laughs> Like, I'm sorry. Can I continue doing what I want to do? Come up on the stage. Let's worship together. Let's, 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 you know, let me look good. And yet then, and just a few chapters later, he was given an assignment, and guess what? He did it half-heartedly. He didn't obey. And then later, God anoints David, and Saul knows that David is the next one. Matter of fact, he becomes his, his son-in-law. <laughs> and Saul was so insecure. The scripture, when it first introduces Saul, he was hiding in the baggage when he was supposed to be um, coming out to be anointed as king. And the scripture says that he looked small in his own eyes. And when we see ourselves as small, we can't do anything. We make it about us and not about God in us because it's really not about you. Like it's, it's not about you. It's not about your talent. It's not about your gifting. It's not about anything you can contribute. It's about God inside of you. It's about your humil- hum- being humble. It's about you s- surrendering to the Lord and saying, okay, your will be done, not mine. 
And yet Saul did not get that. Instead, he gave fake repentance after fake repentance and made the same mistake after the same mistake and finally got to the point that he was doing his best at the end of his life instead of chasing the enemy, he chased the Lord's anointed to kill him. Instead of fully killing the enemy, he took his army to chase David, his son-in-law, who killed Goliath on his behalf. And friends, this is, this is what happens when we, are, when we have repentance that's short-lived. Instead of going after the things God has called us to go after, instead of attacking the enemy, instead of realizing our battle is not against flesh and blood, we turn it on people who are called to help us who are called to help us leave a legacy, who are called to help us get close to the Lord. As a matter of fact, David at one point in his life, went. Saul was so tormented, he was so demon-possessed, even after he was filled with the Spirit, he was so demon-possessed that David would come and worship and play his harp and sing so that he could get a moment of relief from the enemy. But instead of saying, thank you, Jesus, for this moment of freedom, he takes his spear and he tries to kill the Lord's anointed. That's when we know our repentance is short-lived, when we turn our uh, anger against the things of God, the anointing of God, the people that God has put in your life to help you get better. Instead of realizing that our battle is not against flesh and blood. In one of my psychology classes, we're talking about anger and anger management now, and I, I shared some of my testimony. I used to be so full of anger. When Josh and I first got married, it was, it was, it was bad. We didn't have smartphones back then, thank God, because I threw every, you know, the phones that used to go on the wall, but they were cordless because we were cool, okay? So we, I would, I would throw those phones and break them. It was bad. I mean, it lasted uh, for the first several years of marriage. I got a breakthrough, and then I would say all the way up until justice was a baby before I truly got real freedom from it. I remember one time being so mad, I threw a pacifier at my husband. <laughs> it's bad. Over stupid stuff that had, no, like, it was nothing. This man is laid back. Like, it was not even a big deal. It was a me issue. It was a me issue. Not knowing how to self-regulate my own emotions. I had to work through those things. And I can say, thank you, Jesus, glory to God. Y'all better pray for me because, you know, the attack comes after you preach these things. <laughs> through him, I have been set free. But I, had, I mean, I had to humble myself. I had to confess my sin. I had to embarrass myself and tell people, man, yes, I'm anointed. I'm an I'm ordained minister, and here I am throwing a pacifier like an idiot. I, I remember telling my mentor, Crystal, at the time, she was like, girl, just because he put up with that the first 10 years of marriage don't mean he's going to put up with it the, last ten, the next 10. And I was like, he might get up and punch me. Like, I don't know. I'm serious. I've never seen him mad. And when I threw that pacifier, that dude was mad. And I was like, Oh, snap. It's when I stopped trying to beat up my brother when, I was, when he got bigger than me. <laughs> I was like, I ain't messing with you no more. <laughs> I had to remember, just because he's put up with it, I don't, I don't deserve that. I didn't deserve his grace, and he didn't deserve my acting like a crazy person. But thank God I got real and said, dude, I got an issue. And she was like, girl, you better get that together. She didn't, she didn't sugarcoat it. She was like, he might, he might divorce you. I was like, oh, snap. Like, that never even went through my mind. Because who wants to live with that forever? 
And believe it or not, through the glory of God, I have way more chillax now. Way more chillax now. Can I get an amen, husband? Can you, can you confirm that? Thank you. <laughs> it ain't never stopped you before. <laughs> Let's not turn what God is calling us to do on other people. Let's turn it inward. Let's look at ourselves. How can we change? How can we grow? What kind of work do we need to do to have repentance that's not short-lived? Amen? So... Boom, that's the first five points. Y'all ready for real repentance? Yeah, here we go. Well, first of all, I'm going to give a little, uh, a little introduction into the <laughs> real stuff. I, I can't help it. This is so good. So there's a difference between surrender to Christ and being sorry. And how many times is our sorrow only lip service? You remember we talked about this on Palm Sunday a few weeks ago? Oh, ha- hallelujah, Hosanna in the highest, just to say Barabbas like a couple days later, Right? God, help us not just give lip service. That's what fake sorrow is. That's what uh, worldly sorrow is. That's what fake repentance is. Okay, we must move past being sorry to complete surrender in order to step up to be all that God has created us to be. If we desire to step up and go to the next level, we have to fully surrender. And this is what I like. We must be sincere in our surrender. Don't that sound good? I mean, that's tweetable. We got to be sincere in our surrender. Now, this is not just a Saul problem. We could go back and look. There are so many people in the Bible that said, I'm sorry, but didn't really mean it, right? Or that said, I have sinned. Those three words, I have sinned. Which sin um, means missing the mark. I didn't follow through what God commanded me to do. I missed it. And we see this in Pharaoh, right? When God talked to Pharaoh about letting his people go, and he would say, okay, I've sinned. Please let the lice leave. And then as soon as he could, like, you know, relax his hair again, he was done and, and, and said, never mind. Nope, go, go get some more bricks. You're still going to be my slaves. So it wasn't true repentance. It was just, I have sinned, right? And then we see that in Balaam. You remember we just talked about Balaam, the tale of two donks, two donkeys? Um, <laughs> that was so fun. Um, Josh called it, he titled it the tale of two donks, if you want to listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Here, here's Balaam, his donkey's talking to him, and, and he's, like, whipping the donkey, and then he gets off, and, and he sees the angel. His eyes is open. He sees the angel, and he says, I have sinned. But yet then he goes on, and even though he looked like he did the right thing by speaking the blessing of God, he tricked the enemy into deceiving the people of Israel for them to have sexual immorality and for them to basically lose the battle. Come on. It wasn't true repentance. Judas, not true repentance. He had worldly sorrow that caused him to take his life in his own hands. He committed suicide. He died by suicide because he allowed worldly sorrow to deceive him. He really didn't do that much difference than Peter, but yet Peter truly repented. So marks of genuine repentance, true repentance, friends, it's a process. It's a process. So we're going to be a lot in Psalms 32 and Psalms 51, and I'm going to read pieces of it. Remember, who was a politician? Saul. Someone's listening. Who was the poet? David. And that's why he, he wrote a lot, of, um, a, a lot of the Psalms, and a lot of them it was about himself, which I love. I, I love how that he kept it real like that. So it's a process. So David repented. It was a culmination of a painful process. And the, it climaxed when, when God sent a prophet, just like God sent a prophet to King Saul, Right? God sent a different prophet, Nathan, to King David. 
And he tells him this big old story about basically this really rich dude who had all these sheep and he had a guest that came over. But instead of using one of his sheep to like, you know, eat some gyros, he, uh, I said that wrong, right? No, I said it right this time. I always call it gyros. Gyros, ugh, whatever. They're really good, though. I've really been into Mediterranean. Okay, get back on track. Instead of doing that, <laughs> he went to a poor man who only had one little sheep. Oh, my gosh. This is just, I'm an animal lover now, I know. And he killed his pet. That sheep was like his pet. And David was like, oh, heck no. Animal rights, man. This is not right. Off with his head, basically. Go back and, and, and look at Or watch the VeggieTale version. It's really good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was David said, you are that man. David already had many beautiful women as wives. That's a whole narrow patriarchal story that we're not going to get into right now, okay? <laughs> but he did. And instead of being satisfied with what he had, he was chilling out on the um, balcony, and he saw a woman bathing, and he was like, ooh, I want that. And so he went through a whole process of bringing her into his palace, basically, I mean, and so, in today's society, that would have probably been considered not consent because he was, he was a king. I'm not saying that's what it was because Bathsheba, I think she pretty much liked it. She stayed married to him. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to be married to a king? But anyway, that's a different story. But, I mean, this is like reality show type of drama, right? Like anyone who says the Bible is boring, I'm like, are you kidding me? What are you reading? Like this is drama. So he brings her in. He, you know, does the deed with her. She gets pregnant. Oops. Like use anyway, so he he gets she gets pregnant because God allowed that to happen, and then he's like, oh snap, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? So he he's he he's like he brings the soul he brings uh, his her husband in and tries to get her husband to go home. Long story short, he ends up putting the husband on the front line of the battle and he died. He he murdered him, so he committed adultery, and he murdered somebody and then he tried to yeah I mean he was trying to hide it that's why he murdered somebody and and he's mad about a sheep <laughs> human life is more important than animals and I love talent so <laughs> but seriously that's my dog <laughs> Davidson took over a place a considerable a considerable period of time most scholars estimate that it was at least like 8 9 months that this happened that this was going on so we read in the bible like oh he had sex she got pregnant he killed a guy nathan's confronting him it was months and that sin was eating him away in psalms 32 this is during the time before anyone really knew although you know people knew you know they was gossiping but it was like no one knew you know, and so here's in Psalm 32, it says, when I kept silent, this is David speaking, about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity, I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's a saying that you probably heard Pastor Josh say that he actually got it from a tele-evangelist back in the 90s, and it's really good. If you don't embarrass sin, sin will embarrass you. Many people who have been in that kind of situation would have continued to try to hide it. Instead, David wrote a song about it. Many, actually. 
He had true repentance because he put his sin on blast. Oh, gosh, I'm around teenagers too much. He, <laughs> oh, I went all the way back. Okay. He, he, put, he put his sin out there for everybody to see. He exposed his sin instead of trying to hide it. Friends, true repentance really is a process. It takes time. And true repentance, it takes full responsibility of their sin. That's what David did. He took full responsibility. The uh, brevity and simplicity of David's confession is so impressive. When, when, when Nathan, sometimes we think we have to use more words, right? Like when we get caught, we got to use more words. We got paragraphs, right? Anyone ever text argue? Come on. You know, all y'all know you've text argue with your spouse. If you're at least 50 and under, probably once. It would not surprise me because I know a few boomers, and I know, I know they've, maybe it's not your spouse. Maybe it's your kids, okay? I know a few boomers who, who've done it. I'm not going to put them out there, but um, <laughs> I know a few. And we have paragraphs of words and words and words of our apology instead of just, like, keeping it simple and keeping it real. David didn't have paragraphs after, after he sinned, and David said, or, and Nathan said, you are that man. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord because ultimately, even if you sin against another person, you're sinning against the Lord who created that person in his image. You sin against your wife, you're sinning against the Lord. Ooh, that's a lot more scary. Come on, somebody. You sin against your husband, you're sinning against the Lord. That's a lot more scary. You sin against your children, you are sinning against the Lord. The Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not, do not entice them. Okay, if you sin against your children, you're sinning against the Lord who made them in his image. Children, ooh, ain't leaving you out. If you sin against your parents, you're rebellion against the Lord. You're sinning against the Lord because this is what God has called us to do, to honor people because they were created in his image. Whether they're a Christian or not, people are created in their image. When we become a Christian, we become a son and daughter of God. But even if you're not a Christian, you're a, a person who is created in the image of God, and humans deserve respect and dignity. So keep it real. Keep it simple and say, I've sinned against God. You don't have to go into details. Go, go into details in your prayer closet. Maybe write a song about it. That's what David did. You know, write a couple of journal entries about it. But you don't have to do that to everybody else. David confessed his sin as sin without any excuses because this is the thing. Where there are many words, sin is not absent. Woo! That's a, I mean, I, I prayed for years. God, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I'm about to sin. You've heard me say this before. Set a watch over my mouth. Then I start praying, God, let, my, let me weigh my words before they come out. Every opinion I have, every thought I have does not need to be spoken. <sighs> this brain goes over time, okay, guys? So it's like, nope, calm it down. <laughs> Some of us just have extra emotions, extra thoughts. It's okay. God made you like that to do something creative, not to always just blab it out to everybody, okay? <laughs> Keep it simple without excuses. Stop justifying your sin. Stop finger pointing to other people. Know that you've sinned against God and God alone, okay? Number three, true repentance is sincere. David took his sin very seriously. Saul constantly sought to minimize his sin and, and to make it appear less than sinful so that he looked good. But David did not do that. He did the opposite in Psalms 32 and in Psalms 51. It indicates that David gave his sin a great deal of thought. Since these psalms were preserved for worship and for future generations, David 
sin and his confession became a it became public knowledge. Again, he embarrassed his sin so it would no longer embarrass him. It was for other people to learn about too. Let your mistakes be real and humble about your mistakes so that your children can learn from them, so that people around you can learn from them. Josh and I have, have learned from other people's mistakes, and I'm hoping that people are learning from our mistakes, right? True repentance, we're, we're wrapping up here soon. True repentance is followed by reconciliation. Mm. See, so often um, we say we're sorry, but we don't really restore the relationship. The first person that the, we need to be reconciled to is the person of God. We need to be reconciled to God the Father. When we truly sin, it's a turning away from our sin and turning towards the Lord. And that's what David did. That's why he wrote the Psalms, many of them, because he was returning back to the Lord and he wanted to be right with God. He, he prayed for a renewal of his joy in the Lord in, in Psalms 51. He prayed for God to not take the Holy Spirit from him. He prayed for God to restore the joy of his salvation. He prayed for a right heart and right mind and a will to follow God. And he said in Psalms 51 and 13, Then I will teach your transgressions, your transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. So from the point of his testimony, he was able to teach people to turn to God. So often... <laughs> We forget where we came from, especially the longer we've been saved. I've been working on this class um, that is making me share my testimony. I've been in vocational ministry for over 20 years. And she said, this is really good, but you have a lot of Christian knees in it. I'm like, that's because I've worked in a church for 20 years. It's so hard not to sound what they call Christian knees, which means a lot of like churchy sayings that if I'm telling somebody on the street, they're going to have no idea what I'm talking about. And sometimes we get so far removed that we forget that our sin, that God truly forgave us, and those who are forgiven much love much and keep it real. Let people know this is what I was before Christ, and this is who I am now in Christ, and keep the testimony focused on Christ and how he changed you. And allow that. This is what David said, man, I was an adulterer, right? Look at the people in the Bible that we put, that we put up there. Noah was a drunk. <laughs> Right? Abraham was a liar, and all of his sons were deceivers as well. <laughs> and you got, you got Moses who had rage issues. And you got David who was an adulterer and a murderer. And God forgave them once they truly repented and truly turned towards them. And now God is able to use their life as an example for us. God wants to use you as an example for other people. The sinners would be converted to you. That people who don't know Christ but come to know Christ. If God could do it in me, he could do it in you. Amen? And finally, true repentance is the last point here. Produces fruit. Mm. Produces fruit. We <laughs> Produce fruit. David forsook his sin, and he did not repeat it. It was not short-lived. David was teaching sinners to repent, and his teaching to turn and to seek God, we are still learning from it today. It produced fruit. Friends, God has called us to produce fruit. If you have sinned, if, you have, if you've done something in your life, ask God to forgive you, repent from it, and then allow it to move you forward so that you can do what God has called you to do. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your failures and produce fruit. God wants us to produce fruit.
He wants us to have fruit in keeping with our repentance. That's what the scripture says. Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. So that means there has to be a change of behavior, not just a I'm sorry from my mouth, but a change of behavior. And God has called us to do that. That's what David did. David made some mistakes, but he didn't continue to make the same mistake over and over like Saul did because he truly repented. And God has called us to truly repent. Would you stand to your feet? John, could you come up and play a little something? Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Jesus. I know 10 points is way more than I normally do, but I just felt like I needed to be thorough with this because judgment starts in the house of the Lord. The Lord brought a a prophetic confirmation to me today that I was to give an altar call. And I wasn't, I I, I wanted to, but I knew the message was long. And sometimes when I preach really long, I'm like, okay, it's time to just go. But (laughs) I really feel like we need to respond to this. So I'm going to ask you right where you're at, just to close your eyes, focus on the Lord. Ask the Lord to show you sin that you've justified in your life, that you've made excuses for, that maybe you've blamed other people for. Raise your hand if the Lord has put something on your heart that you that you realize that this is an area in your life that you need to ask God to forgive you for. Yep, 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 yep. I'm going to ask Andrew and Tanil and Bessie, would you guys come up so we can pray with people, put some oil on your fingers and... There's another part of this that I feel like I want to put out there that I really didn't focus that much on in the message that I think that some of us, if you're dealing with insecurity, it's so often that those of us who deal with insecurity, we fall into man-pleasing and we sin because we want others to like us. And if, if you have fallen into, the Bible says you cannot be a man-pleaser, and you can't be a man-pleaser and a servant of God at the same time. If that's you and you feel like you've just been falling into insecurity, would you just raise your hand before the Lord? God sees your heart. He knows. I'm going to ask, there's several of you guys who who raised your hand. I'm going to ask you guys, if you want um, a breakthrough, again, I believe that when we embarrass sin, sin can no longer embarrass us. If you would come up to this front here, and it doesn't mean that you're, we're all sinners. It doesn't, we're not pointing you out, but we're asking you to come up here because we want to pray for you. So if you rose your hand before the Lord today, would you just take a step of faith and come on up? Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. 